All right, welcome Cornerstone. It's good to be together, even though it's kind of muggy in here, right? So, um, um, I, we have a guest speaker today, and I'll let you know in a second why I invited her or why we invited her to speak. But we're continuing with our um, series on the Sermon on the Mount, and um, and I heard Bonnie Gatchell speak at a workshop on human sex trafficking um, this last month. And, um, and as I listened to her talk and then met with her afterwards, I really kind of wanted you guys to, to hear her address the matter that Jesus is coming up to in the next part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is um, sexual purity, sexual sanity, um, sexual wholeness. And so here's, um, here's the group that Bonnie's part of, just so you get an idea, and she'll share some more. She's part of the Abolitionist Network at Emmanuel Gospel Center. And um, what, what they do is this. It says, the Abolitionist Network is a community of leaders in the church seeking to understand the systems driving human trafficking um, in Boston and beyond, pursuing effective church engagement. We are asking, what does it look like for our local congregations to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our neighborhoods, preventing, identifying, and ultimately ending abuse and exploitation? So, um, so welcome, Bonnie, to, um, to come and speak. Bonnie? Oh, good. <laughs> yes, so I am Bonnie Gatchel, and I, I am the founder and director of Route One Ministry, which is a program under the Abolitionist Network that Pastor Bill so well outlined for us. And Route One in particular, we work with women exploited by the commercial sex industry, and we do that by entering strip clubs and meeting with women and building relationships with them. And we've been doing this for six years. And when we go into strip clubs, sometimes the women are skeptical of why we are there. And we bring little gifts that just say, you are treasured. Um, But after going for a couple of months and being consistent at that, we've had women who now, literally this happened a few weeks ago at a team. We have two teams here in Boston and then in Springfield. And in Springfield, one of the dancers was on stage, mid-act, if you will, saw the women from Route 1 walk in, stopped, jumped off stage, and ran to them and said, I'm so glad you're here. You're my favorite church ladies. And then she wanted to so desperately share what was going on in her life. And so we've been able to connect with women in that way for the last six years, as I said, and Part of the ministry, when I started the ministry six years ago, I had an understanding about women who worked in the strip clubs that was was wrong, but it's probably an understanding or an idea of women who worked in the strip clubs that most people have. I thought they were college students just trying to pay their way through school. I thought that they made lots of money. I thought possibly that they were just loose vulgar women who really enjoyed this or enjoyed sex. But what I've come to realize is no little girl wants to be a stripper when she grows up, right? No little girl says to her, this is my dream, this is my career trajectory. And so there has to, we have to ask the question, what has led this girl here? I found some interesting statistics, depressing statistics, 90% of women who are in the sex industry are sexually abused under the age of 18. Um, They have to pay to be there. The women have to pay sometimes $75 a night to be there or pay additional tips to be there. 
The average or age range of women who work in the sex industry is 14, and I've seen 14-year-olds in the strip clubs, to 62. And the very first stripper I met was 62. Um, and so these are some pretty heavy statistics, and, but one before I transition back into the text this morning that's one of hope is the number one reason. Is that better? Is that? Okay. Is, right. Okay. Is this better? Okay. <laughs> I can, nope, I can hear it crackling. Um, okay. So the number one reason that women leave the sex industry is through a trusting relationship encouraging them to do so. And so that's why we go in. I figure who else better to be there than Christian women who can reflect the light of Christ back into the lives of the women who work there. Um, And so, yeah, this is how Bill and I met. And so I came this morning to walk through and share with you what I've learned in digging deeper into this passage Matthew 27 through 30. Um, And so we're just going to go through that together. Now, I imagine that most people are here this morning. You're not involved in trafficking. Maybe it's very possible that someone in this room might be in trafficking. But most people probably are not in trafficking. Most people here probably do not go down to the strip clubs that are walking distance from this church or others, right? But those are ripples. Those are ripples out. Like if you think of a pebble hitting the water, when it hits the water, there are these ripples, right? Or a boat, when it cuts through, I live by the harbor. When the boats cut through the harbor, I know there's a boat on the harbor because I see the effects of the boat first before I see the boat, right? And so, yes, trafficking is way out here. Pornography is out here. Strip clubs is out here. But this morning, we want to talk about the pebble, and the pebble that starts everything. And that's where Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 27, 5, 27 through 30, this idea of intentionally lusting and how it starts in the heart, right? And how that is just as wrong as um, participating in the act of sex, right? As participating in adultery. So let me read that for you. If you, okay, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Okay, so it's a fairly intense passage, um, but we're, we're just going to work through that. So our text this morning, of course, as Pastor Bill has already laid out for you as you're working through this, takes place in a larger narrative. It's part of the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew's Gospel is the largest of all the Gospels. It's the longest of all the Gospels, and Matthew has spent the Gospel laying out for us highlighting the works and the story and the miracles and the sermons of Jesus. And this text our morning, this morning is a recording of one of those sermons, which is known historically as the famous Sermon on the Mount. But what is interesting about this sermon is how intentional Jesus was at separating himself just for a moment 
from the rest of the crowd to take his disciples up on the mountain. I want to back up a minute and look at Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. The first thing that stuck out to me here is seeing the crowds. Jesus could have given this sermon to crowds, right? There were crowds of thousands that followed him. If we remember the breaking of the, the loaves of the fishes. And as a preacher, and I don't know, I don't want to speak for Pastor Bill, but as preachers, we love a big crowd. I love a big crowd. I would rather tell a thousand people something once than 10 groups of 100 people, right? So you love a big crowd. If you think of Billy Graham and his evangelism, his, his big evangelism was that the numbers came in, that thousands and thousands of people heard him speak. Yes, he was an articulate preacher, but really what was miraculous about his um, ministry was the numbers. So Jesus is already hanging out with the crowds before we start the Sermon on the Mount. So he could have continued speaking to them. And he does. He gives sermons later to the crowds, right? And in different places. But here, he intentionally goes up to a place that is not all that accessible. It's not easy to get to. And the word here is went up, and his disciples went up, and they joined him. And the Greek word for went up, this isn't like going to the store or taking a walk together. It is the word that means to rise or to grow or to spring forth. So the disciples were interested in getting more from Jesus than what he was giving the crowds. They wanted to grow. They wanted to rise. Um, One translation, the message refers to it as they were Jesus's climbing companions, right? The ones who were willing to keep on going, his climbing companions. So that's, that's what sprung my interest in looking at this text is, where am I Jesus's climbing companion? Or am I still hanging out at the base of the mountain? Let me read our text one more time. And is the mic, is this working out for everyone or, okay. (laughs) Um, I think this is good. We'll just keep rolling. <laughs> I have a big mouth. I can probably be loud. Um, look, so Matthew five twenty-seven through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, you should tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body. And if your right hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off and throw it away, for it is better to lose that than your whole body. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, which you guys have already heard a big chunk of it as well, and you're going to finish it up, Jesus is dropping lines from the Old Testament from the Ten Commandments. Right here, this line, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. And the commandments were commandments. They were the law. They were commandments. They weren't suggestions that God gave to Moses and then Moses gave to the people. It wasn't like Moses came off the mountain and said, you know, If you get around to it, if you could stop making idols, that'd be really great. It wasn't that Moses said, you know, if you could just not kill each other today, 
that would be really special. No, these were actual commandments. And we sometimes find the word in our generation and living in New England in 2016, commandments is heavy. But every one of these commandments reminded Israel they were no longer slaves in Egypt. They had been slaves for 430 years. They couldn't own their land for 430 years. They didn't have heritage to pass on to their kids because they couldn't own anything. And they couldn't worship their God the way they wanted to worship him. These commandments remind them, you are free. You are free not to kill each other because you belong to me and I have given you land. That reminds Israel that they have moved from being people of slavery and isolation to people of freedom. It reminds Israel that when they had to live scattered as slaves, they now have community. Here's a couple of lines that maybe you'll recognize too. What about shake, shake, shake it off? Does anyone recognize that line? Yes, right? How about it's all about the base, right? We all recognize that line. This little light of mine, right? Do we recognize that line too? Right, and probably, I, I mean, I spoke those lines, but you could fill in the tune. You could tell me who the artist is. Some of you are already singing the rest of the chorus in your heads. I see this guy over here. He's moving. Um, because it's part of our culture. It's part of our background. We know these songs, right? It's the same for Israel. It's the same for the disciples that are on the Sermon on the Mount. This, these lines that Jesus is dropping about the Ten Commandments, they're part of their history. They could have filled in the rest of the chorus, and they would have known the people group that received them and why. So the lines here that Jesus is dropping is important. Which then, I ask, what, what is happening here? Why is he dropping lines? And it is to remind the disciples that they are part of a community. And so as part of a community... To have lust for someone else in your community is destructive to the community. It destructs and breaks community this way, and it breaks community this way, right? And so we, we continue on. Jesus outlines that lust, um, right after he tells the disciples about the Old Testament. And so the text continues on, if you have a lustful intent, intent to lust, right? That to me stuck out to me as well. Intent to lust. That's very interesting because if you intend to do something, it's not an accident, right? It's an intent. It implies a plan. Um, I have traveled many places, lived in different places, but my parents um, who hit 70 a few years ago had never, ever been out of the United States. And so I had this intent of taking them outside the United States. We were going to go to England and Paris. But in order for that trip to actually happen, to intend on that trip, we had to make plans. We had to chart out our path. We had to, I sat dreaming of the places we would eat in Paris and the different museums that we would visit, right? We had to put certain things in place to execute that intent or that plan, right? But there is an intention there, and so Jesus, in this way, he says that you are intending to lust. There's a plan to lust. And that intention is taking place in your heart. So Jesus makes clear to us this intention isn't something that's simple. It's just as wrong 
it's just as sinful as the action itself. When you participate in lusting, for example, if I um, was to see a guy on the street that I thought was attractive, it's fine that I recognize his beauty as a fellow creation, right, created by God, that is fine. If I let that image linger, if I take it home to the privacy of my home, right, that is where it becomes wrong. That's the intent to lust. Um, And it's easy for us to think of that, right? Or if I intentionally go to all the men volleyball games happening this summer because I know they're going to be without their shirts, that's an intent to lust, right? That's an intent to lust. And the problem with this, the intent to lust, is that it makes a person, if we go way back to Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, when he created creation, he creates everything under its own kind, but humans he made after his image. And so what lust does is it shifts a person from an image bearer to an object of our affection, right? And it's easy to laugh at if I go down to watch the volleyball games. But what about where in life we do this, right? With pornography or we check out someone a second time around or maybe even comment to our friends how hot that person looks or how hot their particular body part looks in that shirt. All of that Jesus throws here under the category of adultery. All of that he puts into adultery. He brings to the same place as sleeping with someone that's already married to someone else. And again, lust is hard thing because it breaks community. It makes someone who was human into an object. And it's the starting pebble that leads to these bigger situations, that leads to the actions that bring harm in other ways around us, right? Pain into other people's lives. So it's not just in the pornography or watching men's volleyball, the Victoria's Secret magazine. It's also when women pull out fashion magazines and we hold ourselves to the same standard as the women on the fashion magazine. We're idolizing them. We're idolizing them and we're making them less than their human image bearing. Um, It's when we're in a dating relationship and we're sleeping with someone that we're dating, or being more physical than we should, there's potential this person you're dating now is someone else's spouse, right? So you're having this relationship with, not yet, and maybe you will end up marrying them, but potentially this is someone else's spouse. So to think about these things in the scope of our um, community. So, yes, and of course... Strip clubs is a big image, and women being exploited. When we meet with women who are being trafficked, right, that is a a ripple effect that starts with lust in the heart, right? Um, So the social consequences might be different, but according to Jesus, the heart issue is the same. Heart issue is the same. The sin is the sin. So remember, though, that this sermon is given given to Jesus' climbing companions, These are his disciples, and Jesus has purposely pulled them aside. He had a big crowd at the base of the mountain, and he gives the beatitudes to the disciples. He finishes with the disciples. These are the people who have said, I'm willing to go up, to grow, and to spring forth. And so Jesus already says to them, he knows this is a shift in their thinking, 
for thousands of years, the Jews have believed, the Israelites have believed that just the act was sinful, right? Having, committing adultery was just the act. And now he's asking them to make a shift in their thinking, right? But he already recognizes that these are the ones willing to go up further with him, willing to do what it takes to learn a little bit more, to be closer to him, to be his climbing companion. And so the next verses outline, and these were real stumpers for me for a minute here, um, for, well, while I was preparing. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better than if you lose the whole body members. And the same with the right hand. And so what I got stuck on was the cutting away part. Yes, that seems fairly violent. It also seems like if Jesus is talking about the heart issue, what is cutting my hand or removing my eye going to do? And, and not to be too crazy here, but I also thought if the issue is lust, I feel like there's other body parts that he could recommend that we cut off, right? Not our hands and our eyes. So I was really just working through this. And it came to me the other night. I keep eating my mic. I'm so sorry for whoever uses this after me. Um, that came to me that these are actually words of hope. These are words of hope. Because Jesus says, It takes intentionality to climb up the mountain with me. It takes intentionality to lust. You don't accidentally fall into lust. It's intentional. But you also can take intentional steps to break free from that in your life. And so this is him saying, you can cut these things down. You can cut these things out of your life. The things that are causing you harm, that is causing you to step into shame. So it's not an accident that you sin. It's not an accident that you lust. But it's not going to be an accident that you get out either. You're going to have to take some steps. Um, About a year ago, a little more now, I had some deep abdomen pains and like so painful that I drove myself to the emergency room and when I got to the emergency room I knew I was in trouble because (laughs) instead of them just giving me Tylenol which I thought they were going to do they handed me a gown and hooked me up to an IV and a few months later I had to have this surgery and I had two large cysts the size of tennis balls one on each ovary and they had to go in. This was kind of Star Trekky, cool. They had this little tunnel thing that they stick through my belly button, which I felt like was on the Matrix, and little baby scissors that they went in and cut these things up and then sucked them out. Um, and that was a very, very, very painful process. I was under for nine hours, under anis- uh, whatever it's called, but I was under for nine hours. And so when I came out, I couldn't breathe on my own. I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't take myself to the bathroom. It was a little embarrassing and vulnerable to ask friends of mine to help me literally walk to the bathroom and help me sit down and stand up. I had to ask a friend of mine to spoon feed me because I just didn't have the energy to even feed myself, right? Very painful. But here we are a year later and my life is better I had experienced those admin pains my whole life since I was 13, so for 20 years, and I just thought they were normal. Now I experience no pain, but I had to be willing to go through and cut out 
what was harming me. I also couldn't do it alone. I couldn't cut it out alone. I needed my community to help me. I had to seek people who were wiser. Those are the doctors. And for us as Christians, those are your pastors. Those are your Bible teachers. Those are your deacons or your elders. I had to seek the advice of someone wiser to help speak into my life. Also with the surgery, I needed healthy friends, right? How awful it would be if my friend who came over to help me for the first three days also had just left surgery. That would be silly. We would be useless to each other. One of us, I'm sure, would have died. So it's better if you're working these things out, right? You're in the midst of surgery, healing from surgery. You're in a community. Find some healthy peers. Your CGs are a great way to do that, to walk beside you in this healing. And then in return, when you're the healthy person, you can walk beside someone else. The other part of my surgery was meds. Not going to lie to you. I'm not a big drug person, but I took a lot of oxycodone and a lot of Vicodin um, following that surgery. I'm not advertising meds, but our meds for us on the daily basis is scripture. We have to be reading scripture. We have to be taking it in. If we really want to cut the unhealthiness of our lives out as fallen human beings, we've got to be taking our meds. We've got to be seeking the advice of those wiser than us, and we need to be with healthy other peers who can walk beside us. So my question to myself and to you is, do you want to be, do I want to be people who just hang out at the base? Because Jesus hung out with the base people too. He just didn't share these things with them, right? Or are we going to be climbing companions, willing to do what it takes to grow up, to rise up, to spring forth new life, and to be stronger? And the part two of this is that when Jesus and the disciples, the Sermon on the Mount goes on for another chapter or so to the end of chapter seven. Um, When they're done, they do go back to the base, but they're not the same, right? They're new people. And so when you exit these doors and after being participating in your CGs, the hope is that you leave new people, not the same as when you were at the base. But we go back to the base to help others who may not be able to find the mountain to even go up to meet with Jesus, right? Or they found it, but they want a walking buddy. You can do that, right, as we return back to the base. And returning to Route 1, again, we do that by going into strip clubs, by meeting with women who work there who are otherwise isolated, right? And just like Israel, this is important because Israel was once in slavery. They then were free people, right? The women in the strip clubs, they are women who are isolated and enslaved and trapped by sin. And the thing is, I once was in slavery as well, right? And I am a free person. And God reminds Israel all over the place of their importance of meeting with people who are now in slavery and not forgetting that it is Jesus who has called us out of slavery, not anything ourselves, Right, And so as we continue on this journey as climbing companions, I look forward to see what God is going to do here with Cornerstone and here in the Boston area. Um, And it's a real privilege to hang out and worship with you guys this morning. Um, The songs themselves, you know, of all my speaking engagements started with worship like that, I would be a happier person probably. So I thank you. Let me close us in prayer. 
God, I thank you for Cornerstone. I thank you for the pastors here who have a real vision for this community and a real vision for this neighborhood. I pray for each and every person that is in this room that you would speak to each one of us, that you would find us in the quiet places and in the places that are scary to cut out of our lives because we know it's going to be painful, that we would do so by seeking wisdom, by finding those healthy peers, and by reading your scripture. Let us not buy into the lie of the enemy any longer that this is going to be too painful because you, God, are the great healer, the great physician, and you call us by name and you call us onto the mountain. May, may we join you there. Thank you for letting us be your climbing companions. In Jesus' name, amen.